to episode 52 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 10th of December 2018. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Good evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So before we get into the news, and uh, before I start ranting about the collapse of the UK government and the, uh, the will of the people, yeah, it's what they wanted. Anyway, before we get into that... No, we're not going to get into that. Phelim, you have been dealing with some Microsoft shit. Yes, yes, I have. Oh, joyous times it was. Um, abandon all hope, all ye enter. Uh, I had the misfortune of having a Windows VM that died on me, thanks to the October Microsoft update. Lucky me, got to experience <laughs> it just like everyone else. And it blew up my VM. I mean, I don't use it for much. It's handy for the odd compile or whatever, doing something on Windows. It's only a Windows 10 home. And I couldn't get it to authenticate again. It, was, it wouldn't activate, so I rang Microsoft eventually. That 25-minute call that went nowhere, that gave me a number to ring back, that I rang back and had a hour-long phone call and then rang back the next day and had a 25-minute phone call with another agent who then promptly sent me to the Pacific base time zone support line that was shut, that cut me off. Mm. Uh, and then I need to get a new monitor because I put my fist through it. <laughs> and then I went on a call that night because, you know, what else would you be doing on a Friday night but talking to Microsoft tech support? Uh, gone through about 16 agents. That is no word of a lie. About 16 agents and then another 90-minute phone call where I got to the end of it and the guy gave me a website address that I could contact. And when I checked that the next day, I realized that that was a paid-for support only where it's about $500 <laughs> to fucking get it fixed. So, yeah. So they couldn't fix it. Half the time, they didn't know who I was that I because I was a company that had a Home Edition. And then I had a Home Edition N, which is the non-media player version. It was a fucking catastrophe. So anybody who tells you that you don't get support from open source should just shut the fuck up and ring Microsoft for four and a half fucking hours. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. Fuck Microsoft. And it's still not fixed. And it won't fucking update. And the key's not working. And fuck knows. And it's 135 fucking euro that I got as well. Because it was a full copy. I didn't go for the free upgrade because it wasn't working at the time. It was like the last day of the deal. I just couldn't hit the server. So I went screw it, it's a company's expense, I'll buy the damn thing. 135 euro, it doesn't fucking work. Yeah, great, cheers. And now you've decided to donate twice of that uh, 270 euros to React OS. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I might buy a copy of Code Weavers, but I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, let's talk about the news then and the usual KDA bollocks. Oh, it's not. It's more exciting, this Nikuno mobile thing. Yeah, if, if you didn't get in on the Purism Librem 5, you can now get a Finnish phone, which, to be honest, I do feel a slight bit better about it being a Finnish phone, that it won't go across the border and have the uh, NSA tapping on a little extra feature to it to uh, spy on you while it goes to... Uh, foreign climbs but um yeah it looks interesting pretty low powered though yeah a wee bit um and i'm still not entirely sure if it's an actual they say it's the world's first floss phone but it does seem to say that it just doesn't allow uh the os memory to be accessed via the various bits and pieces that are closed because i imagine they still have to have some parts closed for licensing but that doesn't overly sound like a 
floss phone. So I'm, I'm a bit confused by it. I don't know if you had better luck. Well, in connectivity, it says possibly to cellular LTE and other wireless IP connectivity. So <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Although 4.14 kernel, that sounds good to me. It's better than what I have right now, I guess. Yeah, it's better than most of us have. Yeah, but if you need to make a call, you've got to attach a piece of string to the other person with the phone. <laughs> yeah. But it does have a headphone jack, so you're sorted. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's based on the IMX6 system on a chip, which is what Purism were originally looking at for the Lieberman 5, but decided was too shit. So they were going to go for the IMX8 instead. So that doesn't bode too well, does it? But then it's not trying to run GNOME, so it might actually have the power. <laughs> Ooh, yes, good point. Yeah, but otherwise, 5.5-inch touchscreen and made of aluminium sounds good to me. But it might be based on MAMO, then. And about everything else, it seems to be courting everybody. Yeah, with Plasma Mobile and... I don't know, it just feels a bit vaporware doesn't it? You can't actually give them money for this yet. Are you going to pony up for it, Phelan? I know you love KDE. I do, and to be honest, I mean, while I do use the um, OnePlus 3T, and I'm I'm using, obviously, a fully open OS on it with F-Droid and stuff, it's a real pain in the arse to update, because every time a new version of the firmware comes out, you have to trust that someone's put together that on its own properly or you have to flash out oxygen os and then re-blitz over the top of that with lineage and and half time you either lose apps or you have to use your backup software it'd be nice to have something that was from the outset an open phone and you could you know trust that the driver blobs coming down are going to support the os whatever it wouldn't happen to be and if it's multiple then that's kind of good so i'd take a hit on performance if i knew all the bits and pieces I want from it ran fine. So, yeah, I mean, it's not stunning, but it's it's not terrible either. And it might end up running uh, some version of Dev1, which means you might have Anbox, which means you might then be able to get F-Droid, and therefore all the apps that you're used to using anyway. Oh, there you go. We'll see if it turns out to be Vaporware. I spoke to Jonathan Riddle about it, and he didn't seem to know much about it. And uh, Apparently, they're not giving the KDE project any money yet, at least they're donating a bit of hardware for them to develop on. And it's all a bit community and the typical KDE story, like with that tablet that never materialized. It's, um, you know, it's not a proper company like Purism who are, you know, they are have got a product that they are supposed to be delivering early next year. Well, yeah, we'll see if that works out. But either way, they are, you know, a company rather than a community project, which this feels more like, but it's, it's a bit too early to tell, I think. But it's not the only KDE news. You've also got an update on this itinerary situation. Yeah, that seems to be going. So there's an update for October, November. Um, and that looks to be quite interesting, all the stuff they're doing there. They're doing things like uh, trip groups where they organize, you know, if you get emails for your hotel booking, your flights, your train, whatever, merging those together, trying to work out that, you know, places like London that have how many, five airports, whatever it is. Um, you know, trying to, that, that that is one location, even though there's a, a fair distance between all of them. Um, and they're doing quite a lot of work on that. And then they're also working on the some of the various barcode processing bits for some of the uh, things like SNCF and stuff and taking out any of the Google Maps specific links and putting that into a generic geo format. And they've been working on the general stuff like performance increase and things. So, yeah, no, it's it's going well. And I think, again, anybody who has any sort of tickets for trains or airlines in their locality, they should 
get in touch with the guys because they're really good for getting back and processing things because I want it to be in as many places as possible, not just the standard European fair or whatever. One of the features that uh, struck me as being extremely useful is this ability to differentiate between a layover and a final destination because some of the systems I've used in the past that provide this, they just assume that you know your first layover is where you're going and then that's the end of the <laughs> the information. But this, if, if they are able to understand that this is a layover, then it opens the door to things like directions within the airport which gate you've got to go to next how long it's going to take you to get there if you have to go through security again that sort of thing is going to be really useful do you have time to stop for a pint (laughs) very important (laughs) where where can you get a decent one yeah exactly now this does look cool i wonder um whether the other desktops uh, are going to benefit from it kd are generally quite good at that aren't they making things not specific to the plasma desktop and the kd apps yeah, and uh, they're you know they're trying in things like uh, the lib phone number and stuff like that. So that would have been work Google's already done. So you're not trying to reinvent the wheel everywhere. And yeah, as you say, if you think of KD Connect, I mean that was always designed from the outset to be accessible. And along came GS Connect, and there you go. You've now got it wherever you've got GTK. So I think they'll equally be the same for this. Yeah. Well, speaking of GTK, Zubuntu uh, is going to drop 32-bit ISOs for the next release, which is 19.04. And that makes them the last Ubuntu flavor to do so, apart from Lubuntu. And I asked Quigley about that, and he basically said, yeah, they're dropping it as well. So that's it. There's going to be no more images for any version of Ubuntu, any flavor of Ubuntu that are 32-bit. You can obviously still get a minimal 32-bit ISO and install it and do a network install and you know use Task Cell or whatever to, to get your desktop but it kind of uh, draws a line under 32-bit, doesn't it, this? I don't think that's anything to be sad about. It's had a good innings. It's time for it to uh, go and go and live on a nice farm somewhere and just spend its last few days relaxing. Yeah, the Amiga hasn't been supported for a while, so... (laughs) (laughs) And to be fair, there are still plenty of other distros that support 32-bit. Yeah. But I I thought it was worth mentioning because it's... um, Ubuntu is the mainstream distro, isn't it? And the flavors are, you know, derivatives thereof or whatever. And it just feels that this is the end of an era. It's the the very end of an era, I suppose, because looking back at the news roundups from last year, a lot of distros dropped 32-bit, like Arch and stuff like that. And so this is just it now. I mean, I would imagine, I should probably save this for the predictions, but... um, I would imagine that several other major distros are just going to completely drop 32-bit support because there just isn't the hardware. I've actually got a 32-bit only laptop with a whole gigabyte of RAM in it that I upgraded, and I've been meaning to do some testing to see whether there is actually anything that will work on there. You know, can you do anything useful with a 32-bit distro? I don't suppose you can. I mean, it's got an IDE hard drive, so that tells you quite a lot. If there's a fire in your flat, you could fire it through the window and then climb <laughs> yeah, out. Or maybe hold a door open <laughs> yeah. with it. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Multi-purpose. The last 32-bit machine I had was the first laptop I owned from 2002, and that was a Sony Vio. And I replaced that about five, six years later. So, you know, 2002, mm. that's 16 years ago. That's a bit... Uh, 
I mean, I'm sure you've got loads of 32-bit machines. You, you just claim you have one. I'm sure you have more than that, Joe. I don't believe it. I did have uh, an Asus e-book, mm. netbook, uh, that I probably bought in about 2008 that was 32-bit only. It was an Atom. Uh, but I gave that to uh, in-laws and never heard anything. Uh, I installed Zubuntu on it and never heard anything back. So That's because I couldn't run anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it had a really low-res screen and stuff. I wouldn't mind it back just to play with, but uh, I don't know. No, I only I only have one 32-bit only machine. I've got a couple of Core 2 duos and stuff, but uh, even they're 64-bit, and they're just shit. You can't do hardly anything with them. So, yeah, I think we just need to uh, say goodbye to 32-bit at this point. Mm. I had a, an Acer Aspire Revo, which was the Ion chipset, which was an Atom processor and a uh, NVIDIA graphics card that I used as a, a Myth TV front end for a while. And I replaced that with with a Raspberry Pi, and uh, it does more than, <laughs> than the, the old Atom processor could ever do. So, yeah, I think the days yeah. are, are over now. Uh, we've been saying 32-bit, of course. I mean, 32-bit x86 as opposed to 32-bit mm. ARM, which still lives on very much. Although the Pis are 64-bit, aren't they? But they run a 32-bit OS by default. The Raspbian is 32-bit. So, um, yeah, I think on that side of things, 32-bit will live on for a while. But, yeah, x86, uh, pretty much dead. But speaking of processes and stuff, uh, RISC-V and the Linux Foundation are getting together to sort their admin out. I mean, it's really a case of um, the RISC-V Foundation getting their paperwork done by the Linux Foundation, isn't it, really? And the Linux Foundation hopefully being able to do some business deals for them and get RISC-V out there in, not in computers, is it, really? It's more sort of hard drives and maybe routers and embedded um, applications. But this is pretty good for RISC-V, isn't it? It's really exciting. I'm Even though it's a really geeky project, you know, the it's fantastic thinking that we could have open source firmware running on those devices, for example, and you know, actually having some opportunity to have a look at the code and, well, you can look at the code, but I mean, at least ensure that the code running on your hard drive is visible. You know, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, because we don't often think about that. You think about running free software top to bottom, and we often think about Core Boot and Libre Boot and stuff, but even hard drive controllers, SSD controllers, mm. stuff like that is running blobs. Whereas potentially, if these things are based on RISC-V, the open instruction set, we might end up with a completely free machine, even if it is, um, you know, an old... Those ThinkPads are, I think, Core 2 duos uh, that have got LibreBoot on them. But again, you plug a, a SATA SSD in and that's running blobs. So potentially you might be able to get one with RISC-V on it and then have an even freer machine. Speaking of that, the uh, Western Digital said they are going to excel the ecosystem when they were at the uh, seventh workshop for the RISC-V systems, and they are going to essentially dump it into as many of their hard drives as quickly as possible. So uh, I think it could well happen very soon. Yeah, and the thing is that this is not about um, free as in freedom, is it? It's more about free as in not having to pay a shitload of royalties and stuff. It just makes business sense for them. And that makes sense why RISC-V are joining up with the Linux Foundation. The Linux Foundation are a trade body who makes a lot of money for, you know, well, everyone involved in the Linux Foundation makes a lot of money, like Google and Microsoft and whatnot. Um, and I think that if the byproduct of making extra money by using RISC-V is that it becomes more of a standard thing, 
then that's good because we all benefit from it being free in both senses. Although it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be free as in freedom with Risk Five, And I do worry a little bit about that, that kind of the free as in beer aspect and the profit motivations will um, come before this idea of freedom. But uh, I mean, this week there was um, a sponsored video, Linus Tech Tips, going mm. to the Sci Five offices. I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Um, who one of the only, I think, makers? You know, they they fab these chips or whatever and sell them, and they'd paid loads of money for that advert, which is a good sign, I think, that they can afford to do that and that it's getting out there to a relatively mainstream tech audience. Yeah, I watched that video and it was really exciting to me as somebody who likes to design circuit boards that I could phone these guys up and, and have them design an SOC specifically for my needs. Um, the the service they're providing just seems completely revolutionary to me. I'm really excited about the sorts of homebrew projects that could come out from a service such as this that you can embed the, exactly the blocks of, of the processor you need and add the i don't know the media processing blocks and all the other stuff and just build your own you know i don't know um media center or hard disk control or, or whatever it was you could you could do that from your bedroom now it's very exciting that wasn't the real exciting bit of the video though was it well well no there were quite a lot of ubuntu desktops in the background <laughs> <laughs> i didn't actually notice them i think was it you or pope who tweeted about that i don't know but uh Actually, no, I think it was the GNOME Foundation that tweeted about it, actually. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah. All right, nice. Yeah, well, that's uh, good anyway. I think, uh, you know, it's a sort of meta prediction for 2019. It's going to be the year of Risk Five in the embedded space. Not quite Linux on the desktop, but, you know, it's going to be a good year for Risk Five anyway. And it's a good end of the year for the Free Software Foundation. Um, <laughs> they've been given $1 million dollars. Although, clicking on the link that is in this doc to the FSF website telling you about this uh, $1 million donation from Handshake uh, gives you a nice pop-up that says, uh, launch free software to new frontiers. Fuel the mission of software freedom by becoming a free software foundation associate member, starting at just £10 a month or $10 a month. So they are still begging for money, even though they've been given two one million donations this year. Although one of them was Bitcoin, so that's worth about 50 pence now. But um. <laughs> <laughs> There's something a bit odd about this. The, the handshake people that have given them this uh, this donation got funded to the tune of 10 million, and they've said that they're going to give it all away to various free software projects. And I can't help but think that they're trying to buy favor for their project. I mean, obviously, that is exactly what they're doing, but it seems a little bit, um, I don't know, dodgy to me. Well, Handshake, isn't that distributed um, DNS? Isn't that their service? And it's like some sort of blockchain bollocks as well. Yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was speaking to someone who, for reasons that I can't be bothered to explain, I won't name about donations and this sort of thing. And that person said to me that there at least was so much money being made in the whole cryptocurrency world that they don't know what to do with it. The people who got in early, like, you know, the first layer of the Ponzi scheme and mined shitloads of, uh, you know, be it Ethereum or whatever. And they've just got so much money that they just literally don't know what to do with it. And so that's why they're giving it to all these free software projects, which is sort of fair enough, really, isn't it? Yeah, because you don't see Jeff Bezos 
giving away his money, do you, in quite the same way? And I'm sure he's he's got enough to buy whatever he needs. Yeah, and you don't even see Musk doing it. You know, he spends it all digging fucking holes and going to the moon or Mars or whatever instead of actually doing something useful with all his money. So, yeah, it's, it, if, if this... <laughs> I, I was a little bit... Um, Take that, space flight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit sceptical at first when these donations started to happen, but this conversation sort of changed my mind, the conversation with that unnamed person, because... I don't know, maybe there is just all that money and, you know, the whole cryptocurrency thing is all based on free software and maybe they did just think, you know, a few of them got together and thought, well, we've got all this fucking money that we can't sort of declare to the tax man, so we may as well do something with it. I don't know. It seems a bit foolish to me. They should cash out and buy property (laughs) if they never want to work again because all their millions would be worth fuck all if they don't actually cash it out. Shut up. Stop giving them ideas. We can use that cash. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah, keep giving it to cool free software. Show organizations. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, uh, what is it? Support at latenightlinux.com is the PayPal address. Uh, Oh, the support one goes exclusively to you, I take it then, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, don't tell Inland Revenue. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is all declared, don't worry. Well, I think it's good to be cynical. I think, you know, they, they've got to take the money if, they, if that's what they do. You know, that's the whole point of having campaigns. Yeah, and, I, you know, I've been a bit, um, well, down on the FSF before, but I think they are an important force. And I think that they almost sort of balance the Linux Foundation, don't they? The <laughs> Linux Foundation is all about just commercializing everything and the fsf is all about making it free as in freedom i think there should have been a, a criteria at the bottom of the donation that said that gif of the guys making it rain with money they should have got stallman to do that <laughs> just yeah. just for pure lulls <laughs> oh, dear. you made me think of the rebel alliance and the empire then <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mean the terrorists I'm not saying which is which. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Probably better not. Um, all right, well, uh, I suppose we've talked enough about Ubuntu. Uh, let's talk about Fedora, speaking of the Rebel Alliance and the... Uh, no, let's not go there. <laughs> so anyway, Fedora 31 is likely to be cancelled, well, significantly delayed. So instead of a six-monthly release cycle, it's going to basically skip a release while they retool their whole build system and everything. And it's not really got much to do with IBM acquiring Red Hat, as it? it's. This has been coming for a while. Matthew Miller um, went on Linux Unplugged and talked about it and how it's a bit of a shit show at the moment and they really need to rebuild everything and they just don't have time to do that while they've got a release to push out. I mean, Will, you know what it's like to be doing releases every six months. You don't have time to do major mm. infrastructure upgrades, do you? So you must have sympathy with Fedora here. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only way to do a proper job of something as dramatic and, and significant as this is to for everybody to just stop for a little while, take take note of where they are, get their plans in order, and then you know move forwards once everybody's understands what the what's going on. Um, I think it's a very smart move, and I think that the quality of Fedora going forwards will be a lot better for it. You did say you're it's good to be cynical, right, Graham? So I mean, <laughs> that's my default, yeah. <laughs> With IBM acquiring Red Hat, perchance, if they did decide that they didn't want to do a load of stuff like this, it would be nice to have yourself in order that you could just go and get a couple of VMs and then 
have your build infrastructure set up on the likes of OVH or the various other providers in an easy sense, as opposed to the god-awful crufty hacks that have no doubt crept together and spanning a whole lot of Red Hat sponsored infrastructure, just in case. But that's being cynical, so I won't do that. (laughs) I don't think that IBM would stop them doing something like that, surely. You know, IBM don't want to rock the boat, do they, with the community? Um, You know, surely they're far more interested in what's going on with RHEL. Although I suppose Fedora feeds into RHEL, doesn't it? So maybe. Maybe it's just being wise. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think that either way, it's going to be good, as Will said the quality of the distro is going to go up as a result of this. They are going to be able to build their test ISOs far more quickly. They're going to be able to do it within a workday rather than over two or three workdays. And so it means quicker builds, more QA, finding the bugs more quickly, fixing them more quickly, and in that six-month cycle, being able to do way more than they could do before. So it's got to be good. Yeah, And um, yeah, sometimes you just have to sort of applaud people for taking a step back and admitting that they need to do stuff like this. Um, There was talk about a possible move to an annual release cycle going forward, but that didn't seem very popular. I think that they will go back to this six-monthly cycle. But um, yeah, I I reckon good on them. And um, it's good news regardless. But um, also good news for anyone with an American megatrends BIOS or EFI, which seems to be, well, I've I've always been an Asus fanboy and it seems to be on all of those. Mm. Um, You'll be able to do updates via the GUI in GNOME at least with the uh, firmware update, what's it called? FWAP or whatever. FWAPD. FWAPD, yeah. Um, That's excellent news because, you know, doing BIOS updates is just a massive ball ache. And if you can do it in the GUI, that's just amazing. Yeah. It was a massive ball ache, but I just got a new PC finally after too long. And it's also an Asus board, and it will be supported, hopefully. Um, But these days, it's remarkably easy where you just stick the image on a USB stick reboot and then select it in what is essentially a GUI. I mean, I wish we had this 10, 15 years ago when you were literally at the edge of your seat, hoping that you no know, power didn't go out or it didn't just decide that it didn't like your stick anymore halfway through and you have to desolder the chip off the board. But. <laughs> yeah, actually, to be fair, I just bought a machine with an Asus board in it and it was that easy. I don't trust a BIOS where you can use a mouse. That just freaks <laughs> me out. But yeah, it was, I, I had some problems and I wanted to update the firmware. And so, yeah, you just download the image, stick it on a USB stick and then just navigate through the GUI. It is much easier now, although it would be way easier if it was just part of the software center. Yeah, exactly. No downloading ISOs, no burning them to USB sticks, just click a button, done. And AMI as well. I mean, they're huge, right? I don't know how much of the market they've got, I'm guessing, but it must be 90% or something like that. They they certainly cover all of the large um, OEMs and ODMs, so there's a very good chance you've got an AMI BIOS on your machine. Um, Now, I guess it's still going to be OEM specific, you're not just going to get one BIOS update that covers all of these variety of machines. Um, but at least the facility is there then for the OEMs to provide the updates via the Linux firmware vendor service. Uh, and so, yeah, it should be good news for everybody. The main great use case I can think of is supporting family members <laughs> because 
getting them to do update the BIOS is impossible. I found I've never really yeah. tried. Um, if if you can talk them through the process via via their desktop or even do it over a you know VNC session or something like that, um, it'll make a huge difference. It's funny. It, it, for the first time, I actually managed to try out. What was it? Fwop what? Fwop D. <laughs> but I think Husey would tell me that it's not called that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried it because I, I just, I didn't really, I kind of forgot about it because I don't use Discover, the KDE thing, which has it built in. I always just apt install stuff from command line. And then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll run an update. And then all of a sudden it detected I've got a, a Logitech um, unified receiver. Thank you, Unified Receiver, which was apparently subjected to keyboard hack, whatever. God knows. It didn't actually work, ironically enough, which I spotted that there's a timing issue with trying to apply it to certain devices. So I have to wait for the next one for it to actually work. But it's kind of cool to detect it because I didn't expect anything to show up at all. So, yeah, it's quite cool. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL, that's for late night Linux, and you can get $100 credit and 60 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call it, in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. And you can really do anything you want with them. You have full root access. So if you can do it with Linux, you can do it with DigitalOcean, whether that's running a website, a mumble server, or some sort of media server, or a Nextcloud server. If you can think of it, you can do it. Because we've got Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and CentOS, also FreeBSD, and some container distros, CoreOS, Fedora Atomic, and Rancher OS. But you can also use your own custom distro if that's what you want to do. And you can either start from scratch with a basic distro and then build up what you want, or you can just use one of their one-click apps, like Basic Lamp and Lemp Stacks, WordPress, Discourse, or GitLab, and tons of others. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but they go all the way up to just ridiculous powerhouses with tons of CPU cores, ridiculous amounts of RAM, loads of storage. But if you only want pure power, then you can go for a CPU-optimized droplet. Or if you want extra storage, then you can either use block storage or object storage, which is really easy. You just decide how much you want, attach it to your droplet, and start going with it. I've been using DigitalOcean for years and was recommending it even before they started sponsoring the show. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $100 to check it out. That's do.co slash LNL. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. The Patreon has ticked up again, so that is very much appreciated. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. You can pay $5 a month on Patreon and not hear any adverts anymore. Get the um, ad-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Um, but the most exciting news, I can't believe we've left it for the admin section, and that is that Fostalk Live is happening again in 2019. Yeah. It's going to be on the 8th of June. Last year it was on the 9th of June, this year the 8th of June. So nothing if not consistent. And that is a Saturday. It's going to be in London, in uh, right near King's Cross Station, so very much central, uh, in a pub called The Harrison, same place as it has been for the last few years, which has got this basement where we do it, which is tiny, fits about 50 people. So if you want to come, there'll be a link in the show notes for the tickets. Now, the tickets are free if you want them to be free, or you can pay as much as you want if you want to pay. And um, that will sort of help um, 
you know, with the running of it all. The venue is free. It doesn't cost anything. So you don't have to pay. Don't feel any obligation. But it's basically just a way to throw us a tip or whatever. Um, even if you're like, uh, there was people who didn't come last time who wanted to sort of contribute to it. So there's your chance to do it anyway via the um, Eventbrite thing. Now, yeah, I know Eventbrite are a bunch of bastards or whatever, but it's just easy. I, just, I had the template already in there. It was just too easy. So what are you going to do? But But if you don't come, they should probably let people know so they can have the ticket back because it's quite a small venue. Cozy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, um, let us know um, via the contact page, latenightlinux.com slash contact, as I mentioned, if you do buy a ticket or uh, whatever, or if you do reserve a free ticket um, and then something comes up like a Metallica gig or a news gig. <laughs> Who do a thing like that? Uh, then, uh, you know, do let us know. So, yeah, failing you're not coming because you're going to see Metallica. I am. Andrew from Bug Report is not coming because he's going to see Muse. So we're the two cool people and all you losers are going to London. Okay, yes. cool. So it's going to be a bit different. We're going to have uh, Linux lads, if they're still going, they'll come over from Dublin, unlike you. Uh, <laughs> we will do a show, Late Night Linux. Ubuntu Podcast will do a show, even if they're not uh, still doing their show. Spoiler, they will. They always say, oh, we're not coming mm-hmm. back. Uh, you know, oh, we're going to decide at the curry. Yeah, right. They fucking always come back. Um, and the mashup as well with me and Stuart and Marius and Dave, that will happen again probably. Um, so it's all a bit up in the air, but it's going to be a good night anyway. And worst case scenario, you just get to hang out with a load of like-minded Linux people in a cool pub that has nice food and stuff. I would just like to say very quickly, last year was my first time, and I would like to appeal to anybody who is a little bit on the fence or a little bit unsure about coming down, do come down, because it's the most friendly crowd um, that I've ever been to a sort of event like this for. We were sat outside the pub, and people just happily chat to each other. It's it's very welcoming, it's very friendly, and you should definitely come. Yeah, and if Metallica weren't about to croak because they're so old these days, I, I would <laughs> ditch it and go, but I mean... It could be the last gig. The irony is, it would have been cheaper for you to fly to London and stay in a hotel than to probably go and see Metallica. Close. But London is pretty expensive, so I, I think you're <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah, that's true. And that's true. I do like beer, so that would equally have yeah. bumped the price. Mind you, concert beer yeah. is just as expensive, so... Yeah, good point. Um, and if you come alone, there'll be plenty of other people. Like You wouldn't believe how many of the tickets are one ticket. There's not that many of them. <laughs> most people come on their own. <laughs> what are you saying, Joe? <laughs> I'm saying that people who are into Linux and podcasts have got no mates, or at least no mates who are willing to put up with a night of boring Linux podcasts. So, uh, yeah, don't worry if you're alone. Um, these tickets are going to sell out fast, basically. We are... I announced it on Twitter and a few went, once this goes out, loads of them will go. And then once Ubuntu podcast mention it, if they fucking remember, then that'll be it pretty much. So I would imagine by uh, late January, February, most of them will be gone. So yes, get a ticket reserved because um, it's free to get in and you don't really need a ticket. But if you've got one, then you will definitely get in. Um Right, well, that is enough. Oh, no, that's not quite enough. Uh, Google Plus, just a reminder that that we have abandoned that, and uh, I feel very vindicated in that decision, given that news broke today that they've had another data leak, and instead of shutting down in August, they're going to shut down in April. So fuck you, Google. And if you're still hanging around there waiting for us to post, then, uh, yeah, try somewhere else. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04 and 18.10. 
and they've got a huge range of laptops. They've just expanded their range of desktops. They've got a kind of in-between one now, a small form factor called the Nix, so check that out. And almost everything's configurable in terms of the CPUs, RAM, storage, and graphics cards, so you can really customize the hardware for exactly what you need. The laptops go from fairly affordable stuff that's ideal for your light browsing and email, that sort of thing, all the way up to real powerhouses with the latest NVIDIA graphics that you can do machine learning, graphic design, 3D art, and video editing. So again, you're bound to find something to suit your budget and needs. But if you can't find something that's absolutely perfect, then do get in contact with them, and they can sort you out a custom build. And they are very approachable and really nice guys. And I've heard great things from other people about their customer service. So do get in touch with them, and they'll sort out the perfect machine for you. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, then there's a little drop-down at checkout. Select Late Night Linux, and they'll know that we sent you there. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Right, so Sailfish OS 3. That was released fairly recently on various phones. You've got the Sony Xperia X, I think, and they've got a new one coming out. Um, we talked about that when it came out, didn't we? And Graham, you said that you'd like to try it. Yeah. And listener Matt got in touch and asked if you wanted his old Yola phone. Yeah, that's right. Really, really kind of him. Um, and really interesting because, well, I've got quite a history, I suppose, with MIMO and Qt in general. I used to go to um, the Qt developer days. I went, went for about eight or nine years. And I can specifically remember the time, it must have been about 2011, when they were, they were owned by Nokia, Qt was owned by Nokia, and they were about to announce their allegiance with Microsoft. And they'd gone to all this, I think it was the N9, and it, it was... And this actually, Selfish OS, really reminds me of of that experience on the N9 in a good way and a bad way. In a, in a bad way because it's six or seven years old now, but in a good way in that it's you know refreshing, different, and an individual take on something that's so important. So the phone that you've got is the Yolo White. I think it's one of the very original ones. It's I'm looking at the specification of it. It's got like a gig of RAM. It's got 16 gig of storage and a pretty low res screen by modern standards. Right. But it is running the latest version, isn't it? Three point something. Yeah, so it's officially supported still, um, and yeah, it's it's you know it looks like a modern phone. I mean, if, if looks are important, it's also got the other half, which I mean, I'm not really into Yolo geekery, but this is some kind of open platform on the back of the phone where you could unplug the the back panel and plug in other things. And um, and there was a crowdfunding campaign for a, a keyboard. Um, and Matt sent me the keyboard along with it, which is, I used to have um, a, an HTC Titan II back before the real era of smartphones. It reminds me of that. And it's nice to have a real keyboard on a phone. Oh, you're making me well gel now. I well miss my QWERTY keyboards. Although that does sound a little bit like um, the essential phone with their <laughs> accessories, which turned out to be a 150 quid headphone jack and nothing else so far. Yeah. Uh, it's magnetic. It locks onto the back of the phone with magnets. And also, the layout is a matrix style, you know, with Q and A and Z directly on top of one another, so they haven't got the offsets, which makes it a bit difficult to type on. Oh, right. Yeah. So what is your experience of Selfish OS 3 then on it? What do you, what's your sort of first impressions of it? 
I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm quite a demanding power user on Android. That's the that's the main issue. If you if you were to see my Android phone, I I, I don't know how many apps I've got on the launch screen. Probably like sixty. I've got. <laughs> I actually use a few widgets. And I use a very narrow um, calendar widget that goes all the way down the side for, with my appointments. It's really dense. I've I fine tuned everything. I use immersive mode. Um, and so what I do like about Sailfish is that it's very much in my kind of way of thinking. I like immersive mode on Android is basically where you get rid of the, the bottom navigation bar and the top status bar and you navigate from swiping along the edges, much like Ubuntu phone tried to do. Um, and Sailfish is pretty good at doing that. If if the screen was a higher res, I'd feel right at home with it. Um, you kind of... You, you, there are shortcuts by swiping from either the left edge or the right edge or from the top or from the bottom. Um, and that works really well. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but I really like that. Hmm. Well, I flashed this uh, on a OnePlus One. Now, this is a community port, so I, I'm not going to judge it on the bugginess and everything. I'm going to judge it on the features. And it's never a good sign when on first boot you have a tutorial showing you how to do all these various swipes because... You're just never going to learn them. And I think that if your OS needs that, then you have failed, quite frankly, if it's not intuitive enough. Uh, you know, it maybe that's just because iOS and Android are fundamentally the same in how they work. And this is trying to do a new thing, much like Ubuntu Touch did and UbiPorts continues to do with Ubuntu Touch. But it's it's just not intuitive to me. I find myself just swiping randomly and seeing what happens and just sort of oh, swipe there, swipe there. All oh, right, there's the thing I wanted, rather than knowing why I'm doing those swipes. Did you actually get used to it then? I did. I, I, I took it with me for the weekend, for example, and I think you've got to pretend that you haven't got any other phone and it's the end of the world and this is what you've got to get used to. But there are, I mean, it's a relatively small team. There are real gotchas in that UI design. Things like, and I agree with you, it's specifically when you're going through an in, through like a menu system in the full screen mode, and you do this by swiping right to go through different levels of hierarchy. You can't then swipe from the left edge to go up because swiping yeah. from the left edge always brings up the task manager. Instead, you have to click on a tiny little glowing part of the screen. Yeah, no back button is the main problem, which I have with iOS as well. But at least that generally appears, although that tends to appear on iOS in the same place as that glowing orb. But one of the problems I had with it was if I found myself stuck on a screen and I didn't know what to do, then the answer was touch it, hold, and drag down, and then you get mm. that extra menu at the top. And that is so clunky and ill-thought-out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there are you just got to get used to its quirkiness. Android has them as well. I think you've probably just got used to them. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't want to shit on it too much because the overall aesthetic is very nice and professional and modern and, dare I say it, better than Ubuntu Touch. More like a real operating system than a, you know... Shitty Linux one. I mean, I don't want to, you know, well, it's too late. I've already said that, haven't I? <laughs> what can you do? But do you know what I mean? It does feel like a proper commercial operating system. Yeah, it does look nice. I mean, for people that care about that kind of stuff, there's a decent dark theme, for example, um, which I had to spend ages configuring um, on Android. Um, and I like that very much. 
um, and the transitions even on a relatively old phone with relatively old GPU, they're pretty snappy. Um, and it's a responsive phone. It is worth mentioning that it's not very open source, though. It might be Linux-based, but there's a lot of proprietary shit in here, isn't there? Yeah. But I think the biggest issue is the lack of apps. You know, this is always the elephant in the room. Um, and, yeah. and really, looking through the, the Yolo app store... There's a lot of third-party hacks, you know, a lot of workarounds for getting those essential things. And and, and there is Android compatibility, um, which I tried um, at least on this this early YOLO white. Um, it, it, installing CPU info, or, um, well, you, firstly, you could install F-Droid by simply downloading the APK and, and running it. That's great. Um, but when you, on these old phones, it's only got compatibility with, I think it's Android 4.1.2 when you look at it through Xinfo. Um, so maybe 50% of the, the packages in F-Droid aren't, can't be installed. In Specifically, I couldn't install Termux, which I really rely on on Android for like Linux shell stuff, which is the kind of geeky thing you need to use on Yola. But then you, I could use the Telegram client, the, um, you know, the open source build of the Telegram client. So it's not too bad. Oh, it's funny, there is a terminal on my build um, so you don't need Termux. I was able to SSH into servers and stuff and add all the buttons I needed, control and everything. So maybe you don't need Termux. I don't know. It's funny that I use um, uh, what my wife refers to as Lemon Party, <laughs> Juice SSH uh, on Android, because the icon is a lemon. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I've never used Termux, but probably I should rather than... Uh, Juice SSH. But yeah, from that point of view, I found it very sort of geeky friendly. In the developer options, you could SSH into the phone, um, which is very nice. You know, you do have proper, it is almost a proper Linux box, not as much as Ubuntu Touch, but it is, it does feel like a Linux machine in your hand. Yeah, it does. It does feel more like that. It's exciting in that way. I couldn't use it as my main driver, but it's it's nice. It makes me excited about Linux phones again, you know, because it, it would be wonderful if one day we've got a phone that is actually running Linux. <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know. Well, you know, more than the kernel for those who are going to pick me on it. Yeah, proper Linux, yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't get Android going on this at all because it's just not supported by this community ROM, which I was very annoyed about. Um, I did install a few apps, um, and there are some that are sort of rough equivalents of things that I'm used to on Android, but they just weren't quite as well developed, unfortunately. It feels a bit um, just, although it feels professional, it feels a bit young compared to iOS and Android. It just doesn't have the apps. It doesn't have the longevity that they have had. Mm doesn't have the eyes yeah i think that's the bottom line the users it just doesn't have them i mean maybe with the selfish x program they're getting more eyes on it and more users testing it and everything but it's just not going to compare to the billions of android users and the however many hundred million ios users is it no and and I think that's always this issue i don't know how you compete with that you know no one else has been able to compete not even microsoft you know yeah and 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 they actually got did, created a pretty good UI as well, as as did Canonical with the Ubuntu phone, you know. But you could just can't compete. Yeah, the the conclusion really is that it's just not not really going to compete, is it? And 
it's it's depressing to think that you've got things like the the Lieben Five coming, and the uh, Nikuno phone that's going to have plasma mobile or whatever. You know, as as free as they are, you know, and they'll be much freer mm. than Sailfish is. Uh, you're still not. It's not going to be a usable phone for the majority of people, is it? But it does it have to be though? I mean, if you are able to make enough profit to fund everybody that works in a company, and you don't necessarily have to have a huge company if you can get the right components. Like you don't have to be Samsung at the end of the day. You know, if you can make enough profit and make your company profitable. I think there's a lot of niche roles where you could say sell several hundred thousand units or whatever, as long as you can give people a phone that they can use and are happy with, you know, because there's a lot of people that would take the inconvenience of having an open phone if it allows them to have the phone they want. Like I'd happily pay a subscription service every year to know that I've got an open phone Um, because I don't need to buy a new phone every year because like I shudder to think the next time I have to upgrade a phone because I have to get used to it and it'll have various irregularities or unsupported bits and pieces with what I want to do. So if a phone could dedicate it to being open, I think there is a market for it. I could be completely talking out my arse, but I would hope that there is some company there can make enough money to still exist by the end of the day. Well, if your boss's millions couldn't do it, Will and Graham, (laughs) then (laughs) I know who else can. I I think Phelium's right. I think it's 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 a good second phone. I've never really considered having a second phone, but you know, if I have to travel to the states, for example, and I really don't want to take my everyday driver, I'd I'd, I'd take this. Or if you want to sell some drugs or something, <laughs> <laughs> import the metric system illegally. Well, I'll never <laughs> yeah. be allowed to leave the UK again, so it's okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's it. When I go for Linux Fest Northwest, I'm smuggling a lot of Kinder surprises with me. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> fucking gitmo for you son you'll never get a travel permit oh no shit why did I say that please let me in Trump you prick (laughs) that'll help (laughs) right anything else to say on uh, selfish then Graham well I think just to round up what you were saying I didn't come at it looking thinking that it was ever going to compete Android and iOS um, and I think from that perspective it's great that the project's still going after all this time I think we used to joke about MIMO you know 10 years ago um, and you can see that it is making progress and so you know well done keep it going um, but yes it's never going to compete with iOS and Mac and I'm an Android yeah right well I suppose that'll wrap it up then so next time we come back we'll be doing our 2018 year in review and uh, then after that, when we come back in January, it'll be predictions and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe it's nearly Christmas. Uh, and I found out that uh, although I can uh, buy my niece an Amazon voucher, my nephew, I'm actually going to have to buy something. And uh, casually tossed, tossed out there was a Switch game. I'm like, yeah, they're like 50 or 60 quid. Fuck that. So uh, I'm not quite as smug about Christmas anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> But uh, yes, until we uh, return then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.